Welcome to Faith Center Foursquare Church's Message of the Week. For more information on the church or ministry, head on over to our website, eurekafaithcenter.org, or find us on Facebook or Instagram. Now, we hope you enjoy this message. Today we're going to talk about Ruth, and we're not talking about the love part of this story. Um, I'll touch on it a little bit at the end. But really, this book, this story, um, and how it starts is about a family. And it's about a family that really has to deal with a lot of issues. Um, Ruth is a book and a story about refugees. It's a story about death and loss. Um, it's a story about infertility. I totally forgot to dismiss the youth, by the way. So if you are a teenager in here thinking that you have to sit here this whole time, you don't. You can totally go out into the foyer and go find Miguel and go to youth group. So sorry about that, guys. One. Yeah, one. Good. Have fun at youth group. Um, but there are so many things in this book that we can relate to, um, the loss that they have to deal with. Um, in the first paragraph of this book, we learn about this family. We learn about the husband, Elimelech, and his wife, Naomi, and we learn that they um, live in Bethlehem, and there's no food in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is going through a famine, and so they also have two sons, and Elimelech has to decide how he's going to take care of his family. And what they decide is that they're going to pick up and they're going to move to a land where there is food. Makes sense, right? Essentially, they become refugees and they leave their homeland and they travel to Moab. And if you remember earlier in scripture, the Moabites and the Israelites don't get along. They are, they are not friends. And so, but this is where the food is. And so Elimelech makes this decision for his family that they're going to uproot and they're going to move to Moab. Not only this, the scripture tells us that um, they have two sons, and they have to go to Moab, and there's no Uber, there's no train, there's no way to get to Moab other than walking. And I googled it, and it's about a 10-day walk. And I don't know about you, but for me and my family, a four-hour car ride turns into eight hours when you have the kids in the back, right? Can I, can I get a name in there? Like, there's no way that that four-hour car ride is actually going to be four hours when you have kids in the back seat. So I'm going to say with some certainty that this proposed 10-day walk um, probably took them a lot longer with two kids with them. So Moab is, yeah, it's like over the mountains. It's a mountainous region. So Elimelech takes his wife and his two sons, and they walk to Moab. Um, they have become refugees. And the Bible tells us this, they went to Moab and they lived there. They, they got food, they, they were a family, and they lived in Moab. The next thing the Bible tells us, however, is that Elimelech dies. There's not really a good segue to that. And this book is very blunt. And so it says they went to Moab, they lived there, and then Elimelech dies. So Naomi's husband dies, and she's left with these two sons. The Bible tells us that these sons go on to marry Moabite women. And so they both marry these Moabite women. And about 10 years after that, it tells us Naomi's sons die. So within a time span of probably 10-ish years, she loses her husband and she loses both of her sons. The Bible also tells us that the women that they married, Orpah and Ruth, have not had any children. So there are no heirs. There are no hardworking boys to help 
get through the season or provide food for them. I think about Naomi's story and I think about losing my spouse and that would be really devastating. Like it would be, it would be terrible. I can't imagine losing my spouse. But when you add on top of that, within 10 years she lost both of her sons. She loses her husband and she loses her sons. And that would be terrible, but for Naomi it's really catastrophic. In those days, as a woman, you were, for better or for worse, worth something when you had a husband, when you had heirs, when you had a lineage, when you had people to take care of you. Um, Naomi can't just go to work. She can't get remarried. She's old. The Bible tells us she's old. So she's not going to remarry. She's not going to have more babies. She's not going to have more sons. Um, and also, because her daughters-in-law have not had any children, it's just her and two other women. They've had a lot of loss. Not only has Naomi had significant loss, Ruth and Orpah, the wives of these boys, men, um, they've lost their husbands. They've lost their future. They've lost their security. Um, and they don't have any children. Loss in general is a significant life event. I'm sure we all have different losses in our lives. For some of us, it's maybe loss of finances. Maybe it's loss of a job, loss of family members, loss of friends, either to death or conflict. Maybe you've experienced divorce in your family. That's a great loss. Maybe you've lost a home or a dream. Maybe you had a dream and you've lost, lost hope for that dream. There are so many different ways that we can relate to Naomi's loss in her story. But eventually Naomi hears that the famine is over in Bethlehem and that she can go back. And really that's her only hope. Her only hope is to go back to Bethlehem and find hopefully some relative who can give her connection, who can connect her to food and safety and security and all of those things. And so her and her daughters-in-law prepare to go back to Bethlehem. And the Bible tells us that Naomi decides to tell Ruth and Orpah, her daughters-in-law, that they should stay. They should go find their families. They should go get married, go have babies. You, you're better off if you stay here. And so she was really hoping that they would, they would be safe and cared for in that. She, she loved them. The Bible tells us that the women were weeping bitterly. They are all in mourning. Not only has Naomi lost her husband and her sons, these women have lost their spouses. And the Bible tells us that they didn't want to leave Naomi. They obviously loved her very much, and over 10 years they'd grown close together. And so Naomi still tries to convince them that what's best for them is to go back to their family, go back to your mother's homes. Um, maybe you'll marry. Maybe you'll have more babies. And at one point, Naomi even says, it is worse for me because the Lord's hand has turned against me. She really, really, really feels alone and feels like the Lord's hand has turned against her. So Orpah decides to go back to her family. And the Bible says that she kisses her mother-in-law and they weep together. And she is sad to leave her, but she does leave her and she does go back to her family. But this is where we see in scripture that famous passage that, and the statement and the commitment that Ruth makes to her mother-in-law. And Ruth says, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. 
Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me ever so severely if even death separates you from me. And I love this verse, and we see the commitment and the loyalty that Ruth has to Naomi in this verse and the decision that she makes in this space to follow God. But what we also see is her commitment to Naomi to take care of her. And the last part of that verse, may the Lord deal with me ever so severely if even death separates you from me. She feels a real responsibility to take care of her mother-in-law. So scripture tells us that Naomi realizes that Ruth isn't going back to her home and that she might as well come with her. And they go on to Beth Bethlehem and eventually they, they arrive in Bethlehem. Ruth chose Naomi. Ruth chose Naomi's God. And that was how she chose the trajectory of what would be her future. And at that point, both women chose to move forward on their journey. They could have chosen to stay in Moab. They could have, they could have become slaves or servants or something. They could have stayed in Moab and, and probably had a really terrible life. Um, but they chose to move forward. God doesn't, God wants us to keep moving forward. He wants us to keep moving along in our journey, even when we have losses, even when we're mourning, even when we have things that maybe aren't going our ways. He wants us to continue to move forward. He doesn't want to stay in that space of sorrow and anguish and mourning. God honors our grief. He really does, but he wants us to move through that grief, out of mourning, through grief, and on to redemption. I'm going to talk about mourning for a minute, really true mourning and what that means. Um, all of the things that I mentioned earlier, all of the losses maybe that you've experienced in your life, um, the things that you really grieve over, um, the Lord wants to ask a question this morning, you know, have you really mourned over those things? Have you really felt all of the feelings that come with your loss or your disappointment. Um, as Americans, as our culture is one to generally suppress emotion. Generally, we are seen as strong if we are not weak, right? And emotion is sometimes viewed as weakness. Vulnerability can be shown as weakness. Um, but that's not what the Lord calls us to do. When I was in the fifth grade, I lost my grandmother. And she was literally the most important person in my world. She was my most favorite person. She was honestly probably the most loved person. Um, that was my safe space, was my grandma. And I was like, I think 11. 11's like fifth grade. And so I was in the fifth grade. And I don't remember being told that she had died. I don't remember that. I must have locked it out or something. But I do remember being at the funeral. And I remember being at the viewing. And I remember just sobbing and wailing continually. And I mean, I was 10. I was pretty loud. Um, and I was just sad. I was wrecked. I was in anguish. And I remember these two friends of ours, and they came up and they picked me up. And he picked me up and he held me like a baby. Big 10-year-old held me like a baby and just let me cry and gave me a safe space to be sad and to be filled with anguish. Um, and that's what God wants to do for us. He really wants to hold us in our mourning and hold us in our anguish um, and create a safe space. God really is a safe space for that. 
And through that, I think as, you know, you have an advantage, I think, when you experience loss as a young child. You learn how to mourn naturally. Like, you don't have those inhibitions that we learn as adults, right? And so given a space to mourn naturally as a young child has helped with losses throughout my life. Um, and that's what, another reason I love that verse in the Bible that says you must become like a child to enter the kingdom of God. There are so many aspects of childlikeness um, that we can apply to our walk with faith. And that includes when we're dealing with our losses. It's important to recognize that the losses that we have in life, it's important for us to recognize them so that we can grow so that we can learn from them. Um, like I said, we kind of sometimes like to suppress those things, or we make them not a big deal. Oh, it's not a big deal. It's okay. What do you say when somebody goes, how you doing? How you doing? I'm fine. I'm fine. Even if you're not fine, that's how we answer. We have to recognize the feelings that we have. And I think the tricky thing about morning, the tricky thing about recognizing those feelings is sometimes we can get stuck there. Sometimes we can get stuck in the feelings of loss and anguish. And that's part of this moving forward. We see Ruth and Naomi moving forward, and they've gotten to Bethlehem. And it's funny because they get to Bethlehem, and somebody recognizes Naomi and says, hey, no, Naomi. And she goes, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara because I am bitter. Mara means bitterness. And so she, she straight up calls herself out. She says, I am bitter, and this is how I am right now. And she kind of gets stuck in that. And so we see her and Ruth working towards forward momentum, but she's still feeling all these feelings. She's still feeling all of the loss. If we choose not to mourn the things in our lives that we need to, then we're choosing instead to hold on to all of those feelings. And the feelings that come with grief and loss are um, anger, depression, guilt, shame, resentment, bitterness. Those are the things that we're choosing to hold on to if we don't feel them fully and out loud and let God work through it, us in those feelings. Excuse me. Whatever you are not changing, you're choosing. My friend Jen has that on the wall in her office, and I think it was really applicable to this story and to loss in general. Whatever you're not dealing with, whatever, whatever you're feeling, whatever you're not dealing with, if you're not trying to move through it and move forward, you're kind of choosing to be stuck. Maybe you're waiting for God to do something. Does anybody have those prayers? Lord, help me, right? Lord, do something. Lord, change my heart. Lord, change my situation. Um, and absolutely, God can do that. But I think sometimes he waits for us to take the first step. He waits for us to step out. I believe that God creates opportunities, opportunities that are all around us. And we have to look up from our loss and our disappointments to see those opportunities that he wants us to grab hold of. And once we grab hold of them, we're along for the ride. Like, we're on God's plan. But that comes from being obedient to see and listen to the Spirit of the Lord. We can totally have spiritual tunnel vision even. 
Does anybody get stuck, like, in the good things? Like, in all the things that you have to do that aren't necessarily bad. I need to go grocery shopping. I need to clean the house. I need to finish the sermon. I need to, you know, I need to, I need to, I need to, I need to. And none of those things are bad. They're all things that we need to do. But if we're so focused on them, sometimes we have tunnel vision and we don't see the opportunities that God has in our peripheral vision. And so God's calling us to look up and see all the things, not just the things we have to do or we're supposed to do or we're doing well and rightly, but we need to see what the opportunities are that he has for us off to the side. We have to look around. So at this point in the story of Ruth and Naomi, their focus starts to shift. It kind of shifts out of mourning um, and really towards survival. They need food. They need a place to stay. They need to take care of themselves. And so Ruth decides to get to work. And we see Ruth, and she has literally committed to Naomi. She is literally committed to learning the ways of the Israelites. She, is, she has really made Ruth's God her, her God. And so in the Bible, in, 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 this, in Israel... They have the, these laws, right? We, learn, we know the commandments, but there's other laws too. And there's laws to take care of widows and orphans and all of these people. And so Ruth knows, because she is committed to learn the ways of God, she knows that God's law provides for widows and orphans and refugees and the poor. God's law provides for that. It says that she can go out in the fields, and she can go behind all of the harvesters, and she can pick up all of the grain that they drop. And so that's what she does. She takes initiative, and she goes out, and she works in the fields, and she picks up all the grain that the harvesters drop. She uses what she's learned. She uses the opportunities that God has given her to learn, to grow, and to learn about the laws and tradition. She knew she had to get to work. She knew she couldn't sit around. She totally could have, right? She could have sat around and she could have waited for somebody Naomi knew to, like, bring them food or take care of them. But she took initiative and she went out. And she wasn't too proud to take advantage of that opportunity. She wasn't too proud to go glean in the fields behind them, right? How many of us are guilty of being too proud sometimes when God's offering us something right there? No, I, I, can, I can do it myself. I can work hard and I can take care of it, or, hmm, that's not good enough for me. We cannot be too proud to take advantage of the opportunities that God provides for us, because God protects us and provides for us in the in-between. When we go from mourning and we go to redemption, there's this in-between period, and God protects us and provides for us inside that time frame. In the time between mourning and redemption, he doesn't abandon us. He gives us opportunities all around us, but we have to go to work. We have to take initiative. What's God asking you to take initiative in today? So Ruth comes back from the fields and she tells Naomi all about it, right? She tells her mother-in-law, hey, I went to the fields. There was this man there. His name is Boaz. And he said, he said to stay here and that this field is safe and that I could follow his harvesters. And not only that, he told his harvesters to drop the good grain. So not only did she come back with good grain, she came back with grain enough to feed her and Naomi and then more to even sell. And so God is providing for her out of her obedience. And I think it's important to note 
there's so many places in the story that Ruth just does what Naomi says. Naomi's like, do this, say this, go, go over here, go lay that blanket over there, go sleep at the feet of this guy that you don't know. And Ruth does everything. I don't know how many in-law relationships are like that. Like if your mother-in-law says, do this, do this, do this. Oh, are there some like that? There are. Um, but are, how willing are we to do every single thing without questioning it? I would have a few questions. Uh, why? Why am I supposed to go lay on the floor at this guy's feet? That's kind of weird. Um, but Ruth does it anyways. And because of her willingness and her obedience to what Naomi's saying, she meets Boaz, and this creates a safety. This creates a refuge. And in the same way, the Lord provides us a refuge. He doesn't leave us alone, even when we're lonely. I think the other point is that Naomi, or not Naomi, Ruth is humble. She's not proud. And so she humbles herself to listen to and obey Naomi, and, and everything works out. And I think that's another message inside this scripture, is that if we can humble ourselves and listen and obey the Lord, then he's going to be faithful to restore us. Ruth's devotion to God and to learning the ways of God brought her even closer to restoration. And our devotion to God, our commitment to studying the word, will always pave way for restoration. Our commitment to studying his word will pave the way for your restoration. Our loyalty to the Lord connects us to him in a supernatural way because loyalty creates and encourages connection. The loyalty that Ruth had, the loyalty that Naomi had to her God, all of these things provided for connection. And like I said, the key to Ruth's loyalty is her humility and her trust. It's hard to be loyal to somebody if you don't trust them, right? If I don't trust you, I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. Like, if I don't trust you, I'm not going to be absolutely loyal to you. I'm going to have some questions. And frankly, I might disobey, right? The Bible tells us, the Bible says to humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. We're supposed to be humble towards the Lord. James 4, 7 talks about drawing near to God, and I think it's appropriate for this story because it really deals with all of the things in this story in one chunk of verses. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands and purify your hearts. Grieve, mourn, weep. Turn your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom and humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. The loyalty and humility to the Lord, in that he will lift us up. Exalt To exalt, we sang that this morning, to exalt is to lift up. And redemption, which is, which is the focus of the story, this is a story of redemption, means to be delivered from or to be delivered out of. I want the Lord to exalt me. I want the Lord to lift me up, and I want him to deliver me out of things. I want to be redeemed. In order to do that, I have to trust him, right? Have you ever had somebody like, I, don't, I can't remember last time somebody actually picked me up off the floor, but if somebody picks you up, it's kind of scary, right? But we see these little kids, and they, they want to be picked up, and they want to be picked up, but they are only going to be picked up if they trust the person that's picking them up. 
We have to trust the Lord in order for him to lift us up. Redemption requires trust. We have to trust him. Maybe today God's asking you to remember what you've been redeemed out of. All of us have a redemption story, amen? Sometimes we need to be reminded that we've been pulled out of the muck and the mire, right? We've been pulled out of things that sometimes I don't want to admit to, right? But we have to remember that we've been redeemed. The Bible tells us, for he has rescued us from dominion of darkness and brought us into a kingdom of the the son that he loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. That's Colossians 1, 13 and 14. He redeemed us into kingdom life. He redeemed us from death into life. Amen? He, He redeemed us into a life that's more abundant. And that's why I love, you can, there's a difference in my brain between salvation and redemption. Jesus, salvation is a free gift, absolutely, as is redemption. And I think that the difference is, is salvation, yes, the Lord saved me. Redemption means he's made me new, but not even that. He's made me better than new. He's redeemed me to what I'm supposed to be, but then he keeps going. He keeps redeeming us. He keeps making us go and grow further. And when we do that, when we make that choice as we allow him to grow us, as we allow him to redeem us, it changes us. Redemption should change your countenance. Redemption should change how you look. We are called to be in this world, but not of this world. Amen? It should change us. Do you guys remember that song, I've Been Redeemed by the Blood of the Lamb? Like when I was little, my grandma would march around singing it, like literally march in her kitchen. Like, I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, saved and sanctified I am. I've been redeemed. By the lamb. Yeah, I don't sing, so that's what you get. Um, but that song this week as I was meditating on the word, that song kept coming to mind and it made me happy. It makes me so happy that I can walk in that redemption, that I am redeemed, that I am a new creation in Christ. And when we're in when we're redeemed and when when we are obedient and loyal to the Lord, it should make us happy. It should change who we are. It should change our countenance. It should change the way people look at us. And I'm embarrassed today to say that sometimes I have to remind myself to not be Debbie Downer Christian walking around like Eeyore. Like, I'm, like seriously, life is terrible sometimes. Like, there are hard things to deal with. There are so many losses, like we saw in this story. But we can choose to be happy. We can choose to remember the redemption that we walk in. So, as the story goes, spoiler alert, Ruth and Boaz get together. Sorry, I hope I didn't ruin it for you. Um, but Ruth listens to Naomi and does every single thing that she says, and eventually we learn that Boaz, who is a godly man, who is worthy and upright, he's loyal to God, he's obedient to the law, Um, he's a man of integrity. The scriptures actually call him a kinsman redeemer or a guardian redeemer. And in Ruth 4, verses 13 through 17, it says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. And the women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout all Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. 
For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. And the women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. Redemption changes your legacy. Your legacy and your heritage is dependent on walking in our redemption. In Ephesians 1:14, God says, I have redeemed you by the blood of the Lamb, or by the blood of my Son, and I have put my spirit in you as a seal and a guarantee. Therefore, you will receive the inheritance and praise the glory of my grace forever and ever. It says that when we chose to follow Christ, that when we believed in Jesus, that he chose us back. And that he stamped us with the seal of the Holy Spirit, which is just the first part of our inheritance. Amen? Our inheritance will be completed on the day of Christ Jesus, but until that, we're called to walk in our redemption and to do our part by walking in truth, remaining loyal and obedient to the true Redeemer, Jesus Christ. The story of Ruth and Boaz is totally a story of redemption that becomes their legacy because Ruth and Boaz, their child, Obed, was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David, which is the lineage of Jesus Christ. Because of their obedience, because of their loyalty, because of their humility, because of all of these things, their legacy is confirmed. Their heritage is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Redemption is generational. It is not just for us. Our redemption is for the next generations. It's something that we have to pass on to the next generations. And we're not going to do that if we don't talk about it. If you don't talk to people, to young people, people younger than you, about what God has done for you, then that gift will not be passed on to the next generations. I love it when the Bible repeats itself. In Exodus and Deuteronomy and Chronicles and Psalms, the Bible says over and over and over again that God forgives iniquity and transgressions and sin. And I love that that's in the Old Testament. That's before Jesus was even here. God forgives iniquity and transgressions and sins. And it says, therefore, know without any doubt and understand that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who is keeping his covenant and his steadfast loving kindness to a thousand generations, to those who love him and keep his commandments. It's really simple. We love Jesus and we keep his commandments. We keep his law. There is absolutely freedom inside of order. God gives us freedom inside of this order that he's created. We are all joint heirs to his kingdom. Young and old, Jew and Gentile, rich and poor, refugee, orphan. Leslie's going to come up in a few minutes and share a refugee story. And I I ask that you just prepare your hearts to what the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you. But I think it's important to remember that this story, Naomi and her family were refugees. Ruth was a refugee. Jesus was a refugee. 
and we are, this is not our home. Heaven is our home. And so, Father God, I ask that you take this story today, you take what we've learned, and you help us apply it to our life. Help us to take out of it exactly what you want us to, Lord Jesus. Father, show us the, the things that we need to deal with, the things that we need to mourn over, Lord Jesus. Help us to walk into your redemption with joy, Lord. Turn our mourning into joy, into dancing, Lord Jesus. We love you so much, and we thank you that you take care of us, and we thank you that we have a hope for a future because of you. In your name, amen.